Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Queens of England podcast. Episode 4, Matilda of Flanders, Queen of England, Regent of Normandy. Last time, we introduced Matilda, the super-posh, super-well-connected daughter of the Count of Flanders. Her family was related to practically every royal house of Europe, and she had a reputation for being a pious and cultured woman. Basically, everything her husband wasn't. His talents lay more in fighting and politicking and more fighting. In the Venn diagram of their marriage, the circles are pretty far apart but they did coalesce for their traits of stubbornness and sticking their fingers up at authority. In short, they hated being told no. Where we left the action, the two had secured their position in Normandy thanks to success in war and in the bedchamber, and were forming a successful partnership. But this week, we will see them deal with a sudden upsurge in their fortunes as they go from being a duke and duchess to being a king and queen. Now, since this is a show about Matilda, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the military and political story of the Norman conquest of England. If you went to school in Britain, like I did, I'm sure you've already studied it ad nauseam. But in case you're unfamiliar, or need a refresher, here's a condensed version. Shortly after William and Matilda's wedding, the King of England, Edward the Confessor, sent an extraordinary message to the newly married William. Edward was childless, and had no obvious heir, and thus the succession to the throne was unclear. According to Norman sources, he offered the throne to William, naming him as his heir. Quite why he would do this is not entirely clear. The two were only very, very distantly related, and there were any number of men who had a stronger claim, though his marriage to Matilda did bring William's English royal credentials up several notches. It is also contested within some English sources whether this even took place, though most modern scholars seem to agree that it did. In the intervening years, most of William's activities were focused on securing his frontiers, as he had no doubt that his accession to the English throne would not be unopposed. Edward the Confessor's wife, Edith, was a member of the hugely powerful Godwinson family, and it was no secret that they would want the throne for themselves, or, more specifically, to their leader, Harold Godwinson. Then there was the infamous capture of Harold by William. No one quite knows why he was travelling to France in 1064, but he was shipwrecked and forced to swear an oath of loyalty to William in order to secure his release, and also to defend William's claim to the throne. I've put in the show notes on the Queens of England podcast.com the famous scene from the Bio Tapestry that depicts this event. Oath or no oath, once Edward died on the 6th of January 1066, Harold moved quickly to secure the throne and mobilised an army to defend his kingdom. William, infuriated, though I doubt much surprised, appealed to the Pope, who threw his support behind him, 
offering him a papal banner as a symbol of his divine guidance, a far cry from the ban that Leo had placed on William's marriage. In this endeavour, William had the full support of Matilda. Now, my lady friend has given me some pretty cool presents in her time, but never has she given me something as big as what Matilda gave William. No doubt, to his great delight, she gave him, funded out of her own pocket, the Mora. It was the largest, fastest, and frighteningest ship in the entire Norman fleet. According to Orderic Vitalis, quote, It had for its figurehead the image of a child, gilt, pointing with its right hand towards England, and having in its mouth a trumpet of ivory. Mora carried multicoloured sails, and at the top of the mainmast was the papal banner, consecrated and sent to William from Rome. No doubt it could also do the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. Invading England from Pevensey in Kent, William met his adversary at Harold on Sanlac Hill just outside Hastings, and in a bloody battle defeated his army, killing Harold. Triumphant, William was crowned King of England in Westminster Abbey on Christmas Day, 1066. Through all of this, Matilda was running things over in Normandy. Now we're going to talk a lot more about this in just a bit, as this would not be the last time Matilda had to keep things ticking over in the duchy while William fought for his throne. When she heard her husband had been successful, she gave thanks to God by donating large sums to religious houses, commissioning poems, and possibly, though this is contested, ordering the embroidering of the Bayeux tapestry, famous for not being in fact a tapestry, and probably not being made in Bayeux, instead being an embroidery properly made in England. Anglo-Saxon England did not just take the conquest lying down, and so it was not deemed safe enough for Matilda to immediately come over the channel and be formally crowned Queen of England. William's suppression of England was brutal and bloody. Native landowners were deprived of their lands and titles, and her peasants and serfs were oppressed far greater under their new masters. It was not a good time to be in England, and so it's no surprise Matilda was left at home. In 1067, William returned to Normandy and was given a rapturous greeting by his wife. At Fécamp, she invited all the great and the good to a magnificent court, and it seems that half the duchy came to greet him. William and Matilda dressed to impress, wearing, quote, Splendid garments, interwoven and encrusted with gold. This was to show off their new and improved status as a king and queen, rather than a mere duke and duchess, and all of Europe noticed. The following year, Matilda finally came to England. Her Anglo-Saxon heritage that we talked about in the last show was part of William's new strategy to subdue England, trying a little bit of hearts and minds after all the shock and awe. Therefore, Matilda had to have a public coronation. This was the first time that an English queen had had a separate public coronation from that of her husband, and this was a big deal. On Whitsun Sunday, she entered Westminster Abbey and was crowned by Archbishop Eldred of York, the highest-ranking Anglo-Saxon left in Norman England, a key sign that Matilda was to be promoted as the English people's representative at court. In attendance was a variety of Norman and Saxon notables, again an attempt to promote Matilda's Englishness, but it would take a lot more than a fancy ceremony to persuade the people of England to accept their Norman masters. 1068 also saw Matilda give birth one final time, to a son called Henry. The timing of this birth made Henry the only one of William and Matilda's sons to have been born in the purple, that is, born whilst they were king and queen. As we will see in the next show, this would become important. Later that year, the royal family celebrated Christmas in Normandy, obviously thinking their new realm secure enough to leave, but they were wrong. In February 1069, William was forced to rush back across the Channel to put down a serious rebellion in the north of England, a revolt he would brutally suppress in the so-called harrying of the north. 
Like in 1066, Matilda was left in charge of the duchy with the assistance of her eldest son, Robert. This would be a common occurrence, as England refused to fully submit to Norman rule, and Normandy could not be trusted to be governed from England. Audric Vitala states that William granted Matilda power, quote, over my whole kingdom and entrusted with all authority and riches. But other sources outline a more figurehead-style role, where the real business of governance was handled by a council of nobles. It seems to me, though, that Matilda was placed in a position of great power, but importantly, this was power invested in her by her husband. And it was fear of him that kept the duchy in line, as much as her competent administration. Matilda did not, however, spend all her time in the duchy, and a year later she rejoined her husband in England. So what did the royal couple do when they were together in their new kingdom? When we think of royal families, we often tend to think of them as broadly living in one place. British monarchs in Buckingham Palace, French monarchs in Versailles, that sort of thing. Well, this was not the case for William and Matilda. Their court was far more itinerant, moving from palace to palace and castle to castle. Matilda was a working and travelling queen, crisscrossing the two parts of her realm, sailing to and fro across the Channel at least eight times. In this period, travel was slow, arduous and dangerous, but it was vital for her to be seen by as many of her subjects as possible. As queen, it was Matilda's role to be, in essence, the hostess of the court and of the nation. She was responsible for organising the great feasts, tournaments and all the pageantry. All the great men and women of England would be summoned to court and would be wined and dined, and the purpose was very clear. As William of Malmesbury said, nobles were called so, quote, Envoys from other nations might admire the large and brilliant company and the splendid luxury of the feast, nor was William at any other season so courteous or so ready to oblige, so that foreign visitors might carry a lively report to every country of the generosity that matched his wealth. Her influence on the English court was most keenly felt, though, when she wasn't there. When she was in Normandy, cultured activities tended to fall away in the English court in favour of drinking and general laddish behaviour. We know from the histories, as well as contemporary literature, such as the epic poem Beowulf, that the Queen's duties in presiding over and organising courts and the pageantry that surrounded them were seen as one of her most important duties, and by all accounts, Matilda seems to have excelled. Spectacle wasn't mere profligacy or vanity. Setting the king and queen above the rest of their subjects, even their richest nobles, was a vital visual representation of the hierarchy of the kingdom. They had to be the biggest, baddest, richest, and purest of them all. Crown-wearing was a key part of this. In films, we pretty much always see royals wearing their crowns, but in reality, kings and queens only tend to do so in formal ceremonies. The frequency of these occasions was something new for England, as the new Norman regime sought to embed itself in a hostile land. In late 1069, Matilda returned to Normandy, and remained there as regent for quite a while. A rebellion in the Norman-controlled county of Maine led to a brief war between Normandy and a combined French and Breton army, and as soon as Matilda had dealt with that, the diplomatic map of Northern Europe was ripped apart. Her brother, the Count of Flanders, died, leaving his 15-year-old son Arnulf as his heir. Considered a minor, the Regency government was set up, but this led to big trouble. Another one of Matilda's brothers, Robert the Frisian, allied with the Holy Roman Emperor and rebelled, she sent troops to help defend her nephew Arnulf against her own brother. This would not have happened if it were not for Matilda being a Fleming, and the fact that William acquiesced showed how much political capital Matilda had. With the aid of her mother, she brought the French king into the war on their side, but in the end her brother prevailed and was accepted as the new count. Matilda was distraught. Audric Vitalis wrote that she was, quote, overwhelmed with grief at the cruelty of her brother. This led to a period of great hostility between the two former allies, 
as Matilda's homeland became quickly William's chief enemy. What's important for us, though, is not so much the result, but Matilda's part in it. Though she had not personally led troops to war, she had been the driving force behind the Norman intervention, and this demonstrates the tremendous influence that she was able to bring on William's foreign policy. Without her, he would not have gotten involved, and it added to Matilda's growing confidence as a ruler in her own right. As important as affairs of war was the administration of justice. The ruler was the highest court of the land, and sober judgments were seen as the hallmark of good administration. The most common disputes were over property, as most nobles measured their power and wealth in acres. She became renowned for even-handed judgments, not favouring Norman claimants over English claimants, and this only added to her popularity. This was new for England and unusual across Europe. A woman administering justice? Whatever would they think of next? Her skill in this area, though, made her an example for many others to come, as we will see in later episodes. Her administration's competence compares very favourably with the counterpart regency government in England, controlled by William's brother Odo and William Fitzosborne. By all accounts, their governance was marked by corruption and violence, and was basically a Norman old boys' club which plundered the English and their church, causing discontent and even rebellion. So, things were going pretty well for Matilda at this point, but tragedy was to strike when her son Richard died in a hunting accident in the New Forest. Foreshadowing warning, he would not be the last son of Matilda to die there. His death was shortly followed by the death of Adeliza, one of her daughters, who died in her late teens after having four times been betrothed to different husbands, but each time the agreement falling through. The Queen is said to have been grief-stricken at the premature deaths of two of her children, and this caused two things to happen. Firstly, her bequest to religious houses rocketed upwards as she attempted to safeguard her children's journey to paradise. Second, it made her ever more protective of her surviving sons. Thus far, Matilda had essentially been the perfect wife to William and a faultless queen and duchess, but the deaths of two of her children and the growing confidence in her rulership was to change all of that. It's around now that salacious rumours began to circulate about Matilda becoming increasingly jealous about William's alleged mistresses. Lurid stories exist in the sources of the Queen torturing and maiming various women whom William is alleged to have slept with, with one girl being killed by being dragged by her hair across calm by a horse. These individual stories can pretty much all be dismissed as malicious gossip, but their prevalence, especially when... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Combined with Matilda's treatment of Britric, the Anglo-Saxon noble who had spurned her in her youth, suggests that perhaps there was a fire to Matilda that perhaps the more reliable sources do not mention. It was not this, however, that would cause the greatest fracture in William and Matilda's partnership. It would be over their eldest son. In the mid-1070s, Robert was invested with the title, if not the responsibilities, of Count or Duke, depending on the source, of Normandy, essentially making him William's heir apparent. He was able to exert political independence, and Matilda relinquished more of her regency powers over Normandy to her son. However, giving a guy in his early 20s with a predilection for partying that much power had predictable results. Audric Vitalis, one of Robert's sternest critics, talks of a court with legion entertainers, jesters and prostitutes. A far cry from the culture court led by Matilda. He was profligate with spending money and lending it to his friends, a gullible side to his nature that would come to haunt him later and when challenging his brothers for the English crown. We will talk more about Robert's incompetent administration when talking about Matilda's successor, Matilda of Scotland, but suffice it to say that Robert was not covering himself with glory. Indeed, his big-headedness was expanding rapidly, and he was impatient for his father to fully invest him as Duke, with all the powers and privileges that that would entail. His father, though, had no intention of doing so. He had already named Robert as his heir in Normandy, and he wasn't going to change that, but he made it clear that Robert would get that title literally over his dead body, and not a moment before. Conflicts between a king and his adult heir apparent were not uncommon across medieval Europe. Indeed, we're going to see this a lot in coming episodes, but this story is unusual for what came next. William clearly had little affection for Robert, naming him Curtoes, or Short Stocking, a jibe at his lack of height, a trait he must have gotten from his mother, and not shared by his younger, taller brothers. Matilda, on the other hand, doted on Robert, and must have been extremely frustrated at the antipathy that her husband showed to him. If William expected his wife to knuckle under, then he did not know his wife. Trouble flared in 1077. Angered at his father's jibes and frustrated by his refusal to make him duke, Robert, encouraged by his sycophantic friends, sought an audience with his father and demanded that he, quote, grant me legal control of the duchy so that, just as you rule over the Kingdom of England, I, under you, may rule over the Duchy of Normandy. This request was not completely unreasonable, but William was having none of it. He is said to have thundered, quote, it is not to be borne that he who owes his existence to me should aspire to be my rival in mine own dominions. William had fought long and hard his entire life for his kingdom and duchy, and he was not about to give it up, even to his son and heir. William continued, quote, As long as I live, I will surrender my duchy to no one, and will allow no living man to share my kingdom with me. Things escalated when Robert's brothers visited him a little later, and, you hear this right, they threw urine and feces at him. Ew. That's goaded by his family and encouraged by his comrades, Robert marched off and attempted to capture the Norman capital of Rouen. This was no childish pranking. This was treason. Though William is said to have initially laughed it off, stating that, quote, By God's resurrection, he'll be our hero, will our Robin Curthose. His mirth soon soured, though, and turned to fury. Robert failed to take Rouen and fled to Flanders, gained the support from his mother's family. He further sought assistance from other royal houses of Europe, but got very little but sympathy and maybe some financial assistance, which he reportedly frittered away on dice and women. Robert was in exile, but his mother would not abandon her son. 
Her duties as a wife were supposed to mean that she should follow the orders of her husband, but this was Matilda. She did not always do what society and convention ordered her to do. Secretly, she supplied from her own coffers financial support to Robert and sent him regular messages through trusted courtiers. Audric Vitalis says that she, quote, regularly sent him large sums of silver and gold without the king's knowledge. This was just as treasonous as Robert's actions, but Matilda clearly didn't care. Wives and queens were supposed to follow the orders of their menfolk, but Matilda cared little for the man. It did not take long, however, for William to find out. He was the king, after all, and nobody's fool. Furious, he ordered her to stop, and Matilda, possibly with her fingers crossed behind her back, agreed to, but in actuality did no such thing. This second deception, though, was also discovered, and the king's anger knew no bounds. Exclaiming in front of the entire court, quote, A faithless wife brings ruin to the estate. After this, who in this world shall ever find himself a trustworthy helpmate? The wife of my bosom, who I love as my own soul, who I have set above my entire kingdom and entrust with all authority and riches. This wife, I say, supports the enemies who plot against my life, enriches them with my own money, zealously arms and suckers and strengthens them to my grave peril. Matilda, though, was extremely composed in this moment of great danger. Prostrating herself in front of her husband, she eloquently pleaded for herself and her eldest son. Quote, O oh my lord, do not wonder that I love my firstborn with such tender affection. By the power of the Most High, if my son Robert were dead and buried seven feet in the earth, hid from the eyes of the living, and I could bring him back to life with my own blood, I would shed my lifeblood for him and suffer more anguish for his sake than, weak woman that I am, that I dare to promise. How do you imagine that I can find any joy in possessing great wealth if I allow my son to be burdened by dire poverty? May I never be guilty of such hardness of heart. All your power gives no right to demand this of me. This is absolute gold for historians. It shows a queen both acknowledging the perceived weakness of her sex, but also her power. It shows how a queen could use her own wealth to pursue her own goals, but also how important it was for this to be sanctioned by her husband further confirming the theory that queens had real power and authority, but this had to be granted from the king. William, ignorant of the excitement of all the modern historians around him, heard only his wife's shocking defiance of his wishes. He must have expected her to knuckle under. No one disobeyed him once, let alone twice and got away with it. He grew pale with rage, but protocol stated that he could not attack a woman, so he ordered that the man who had been conveying the money to Robert be blinded. Matilda, though, thwarted him and managed to get a message to the man, who was called Samson in time, and he fled to the safety of a monastery at Santevrol, where he would have met one of our key chroniclers, Orderic Vitalis, who is our main source for all these events. We don't know for sure, but it seemed this episode ended Matilda's financial assistance for her son. William must have kept a very close eye on his wife from now on, and the dangers of defying him both to herself and her son would have become too great. The trust that the king had in his wife had gone, Never again would she rule as regent. Eventually, the conflict between father and son resulted in open war. Following frequent raids into Normandy, Robert, using his mother's familial links with the French monarchy, secured the backing of King Philip of France. Robert made his base at the castle of Gerberois on the Norman border and gathered his forces. William retaliated by laying siege and, after battering the fortress for three weeks, launched a furious assault. He may not have been an especially good father or a stellar husband, but William was a fantastic soldier. The old king cut through his son's forces, even after his horse had been shot from under him, but
but he eventually met a heavily armoured man who was his match in battle and was forced back, sustaining an injury to his hand. The knight who had bested him? Robert. Matilda must have been beside herself with worry, with her husband and two younger sons allied against her favourite son. If she had been a man, there is no doubt that she would have been exiled at the very least for her support of the king's enemy. Her position as queen and as a wife, though, gave her a measure of protection. But her husband's mercy had its limits, a fact of which she was well aware. Matilda, therefore, took upon herself the role of peacemaker, a position that contemporaries would have been far more comfortable of her inhabiting than the rebellious wife trope. She gained numerous supporters, including Pope Gregory, who urged Robert to come to terms, and the King of France as well, who seems to have withdrawn his support from Robert. This was still Matilda acting against her husband, but it was in a far more acceptable cause. Pursuing peace was fine. Financially supporting the enemy was not, though Matilda really was attempting to achieve the same goals. This was a bit of savvy politicking from the Queen here. Eventually, William and Robert were reconciled, at least officially. There was a formal ceremony at Rouen where the great and the good assembled, but the two never really made up. Robert may once again have been the heir to Normandy, but his father never forgave him his treachery, nor did he fully trust his wife again. When he left for England in 1080, he took both his son and his wife with him, leaving Normandy to a council of nobles, or possibly his second son William Rufus, a clear sign that the times had changed. From this period on, Matilda seems to have dedicated her time to religious pursuits. Once again, the number of bequests to churches and abbeys went up, especially to the abbey she set up at La Trinité. While this renewed focus on religious devotion may have been thanks to a waning of her political power, there may also have been another element. Her health was failing. The stress of her later years with the warring between Robert and William had had a terrible effect on her. Seeing her end coming, in 1082 she drew up her last will, in which she donated the great part of her fortune to the church, especially La Trinité, but it was not until late 1083 when she finally died. In their later days, it seems that the rift between husband and wife had healed. The sources all describe William as being distraught at the death of his wife. According to William of Malmesbury, William, quote, showed by many days of the deepest mourning how much he missed the love of whom he had lost. Indeed, from that time forward, if we believe what we are told, he abandoned pleasure of every kind. The reaction to her death from the sources demonstrate how popular a queen and duchess she had been. Audric Vitalis called her, quote, the most amiable, the most courteous, the most intelligent woman of her time, the most chaste, the most devoted to her husband, the most tender towards her children. Now, a lot of this is clearly a case of praising a departed queen. One does not usually trash talk the dead unless their crimes were truly heinous, but contemporary writers bent over backwards to praise Matilda, as well they should have. She was buried at her abbey at La Trinité, surrounded by monks, nuns, and a collection of ordinary Norman peasants, all who gathered to mourn the passing of a popular ruler famed for her piety and competent administration. Her grave was marked with a beautiful and richly decorated tomb, but this was plundered during the French Wars of Religion during the Reformation, and then fully destroyed during the French Revolution, where monarchs and clergy were held in equal disdain. Her epitaph, which still survives, reads thus, the lofty structure of the splendid tomb hides the great Matilda, sprung from royal stem, child of a Flemish duke, her mother was Adela, daughter of a king of France, sister of Henry, Robert's loyal son, married to William, most illustrious king. She gave this site and raised this noble house with many lands and many goods endowed, given by her or by her toil procured. Comforter of the needy, duty's friend. 
her wealth enriched the poor and left her in need. At daybreak on November 2nd day, she won her share of everlasting joy. What we have there is what Matilda's husband and her subjects wanted to remember her as, a noble-born, generous and pious queen of her people. Yet of course we know she was far more than that, but perhaps the controversy surrounding her later years in charge of Normandy meant that that aspect of her queenship was perhaps a little too toxic for an epitaph. Her most lasting legacy, though, is as a model for English queenship that will be copied by many of her immediate successors. She ranks as one of the most powerful consorts in all of English medieval history, and at the height of her powers, she was probably the most powerful woman in all of Europe. Her death marks a significant downturn in her husband's fortunes. Conflict resumed between he and Robert, and he faced renewed rebellions at home and attacks from abroad. Robert was permanently banished from William's kingdom and was written out of the English succession, a decision that was to cause significant unrest in England and Normandy for decades to come. Matilda's calming influence had, for the most part, held the new realm together against the belligerent and bloody-minded tendencies of the men in her life, and though she had not been 100% successful in this regard, her positive influence is shown by the near-constant warfare that took place after her death. She ranks as one of the most important queens in English history, but she's only the start of our story. And next time, we will talk about her successor, her namesake, Matilda of Scotland, who clearly had big boots to fill.